0: You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? I'm trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is Now Playing's The Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's mightiest heroes, type thing. Part of the now-playing Marvel Comic movie series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie.
1: I asked for an army, and all I got was you. You are not enough.
0: Jacob. There are already so many big men fighting this war. Maybe what we need now is a little guy. Huh? And Stuart. If you have something to say, right now is a perfect time to keep it to yourself. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Avengers movies. Iron Man.
1: I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly.
0: The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Iron Man 2. Never has a greater phoenix metaphor been personified in human history. Thor. You're big. For bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? And ending with a weekend of release review of The Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize
1: that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army.
0: This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I've always been more curious than cautious. So,
0: are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up.
2: Today we're discussing Captain America, The First Avenger. Starring Chris Evans, Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo Weaving, Sebastian Stan, Haley Atwall, Dominic Cooper, and Neil McDonough. Directed by Joe Johnston. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, the podcasts that are not for the ears of ordinary men.
1: Stuart in L.A. Arrogance is not a uniquely American trait, but... I do it better than most. This is Jacob. And this is it. The penultimate Avenger film. I can't believe
3: it. Tears in my eyes. And nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> How many films have we done? Over three dozen, right? Yes.
2: Yes, over three dozen. If Jacob's count of round 35 was right for Hulk, then this is 37. Wow. Holy moly. And the first Avenger leading into the Avenger title. I remember seeing this. I don't know if I could have been too much more hyped. Can you imagine a better place to see a superhero movie for the first time than San Diego Comic Con for free with the star introing the film?
1: Yeah, I had tickets for that too, but you know what? I had toys to buy that morning. I couldn't wait in line all day to go see the movie. But I remember it was a real mad scramble trying to get those tickets for the showing.
2: Yeah, we got tickets online thanks to a listener on Twitter, and it turned out tickets were useless. It was just first come, first serve, but we were there first. And one of the people who works with me on Star Wars Action News and Marvelicious Toys, Barrett, actually got the Captain America toy shield signed for his son by Chris Evans. It was a very cool way to see this film Even if, Comic-Con, you're a little bit exhausted. But that was my only time seeing the film before this viewing for Now Playing. It was one I just hadn't had time to go back to. It's the most recent one released. And so this is only my second, third, and fourth viewings for this review. Of
1: course. And like I've said, this is my first viewing. It did come out the week of Comic-Con, and I kept on planning to see it after that week. But I put it off and off and off, and then I ended up moving to Texas. And here I am now, watching it for the first time. I would have seen it anyway before the Avengers but I decided to make it the first time for this podcast.
3: Well, I intentionally held off. I knew that I was going to have to see it. I often ask myself, would I have gone to see this? If there had been no now playing, would I have gone on a whim? Well, maybe, maybe if uh, the right circumstances had materialized. But I knew that I was going to have to review it for the show, and I thought it best if I had a cold reading. It wasn't like I was itching to see it. I was curious, though. I got to say, out of all the ones that we've covered that I haven't seen, all the ones that don't star Iron Man in them, This is the one I was most curious about, and mostly because... Somehow, this is a period World War II film that's going to merge with (laughs) Norse gods and everything else in the Marvel Universe. The fact that it was in period, they were not even setting it in the same time frame, was the most intriguing to
2: me. What's funny to me is that's what makes it a hard sell for me. Because I said last time I had a little bit of trouble getting into Thor with the Shakespearean dialect just in the comics, let alone the movie. So I had a little trouble getting excited. Captain America... I was excited for because it was the next step on a journey to Avengers, but had it been the Shadow or some of those, the Phantom, I don't see those, and I probably wouldn't have seen a World War II superhero film.
1: Well, I'm with Stuart on this one. What intrigued me was that this looked to be a period piece. I didn't know if it was all going to be stuck back in World War II. We saw that with the Salinger film. It started off in World War II, then jumped to the present. You know, those red-brown had barely anything to do with the comic books. But I like the World War II-era Captain America, that kind of fantastical take on the war that was probably introduced by the original Captain America comics by introducing this superhero into a real-world conflict. I
3: mean, they didn't have to go this way. It should probably be pointed out that they could have just made it a modern character. They didn't necessarily need to honor the history in order to make this work. Particularly if everything is happening in present day, it was a bold choice. You wanted a
1: Red Brown take.
3: (laughs) Well, uh, 70s, no. But, you know, I do think... If you're going to introduce a character as thorny as Captain America, a politicized hero, you want to put him in an era where everyone saw America as a shining beacon of light. And that would be about 70 years ago. I think since that time, America has taken a lot of knocks, and politically, it's just our wars after that are seen as less cut and dry. You know, Allies versus Axis is so clearly a good and evil white hat, black hat battle, and I just think it's safe to make that translate to a comic book establishment. You put Captain in Vietnam, you put him in Iraq, it can get thorny. And I just think that since he is so typified with our national identity, yeah, it's probably the best way to go, but creates its own challenges as well.
2: You say black and white. I don't think the Nazi issues is black and white in this film, as you make it sound. But we'll get into that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, indeed. Well, let's get into it then with a plot summary, Arnie. It's
2: 1942, and Steve Rogers wants nothing more than to enlist in the army and join the fight against the Nazis. Steve is small, thin, and weak, and he equates the Nazis to the bullies that have picked on him his entire life, and he wants to take a stand. But for a myriad of medical reasons, including asthma and his frail stature, he's not allowed in despite multiple attempts to enlist under various aliases. But at a World Tech Expo with his enlisted friend Bucky Barnes, Steve tries again and is seen by Dr. Abraham Erskine, who interviews the man and signs him up as part of a, quote, super soldier, unquote, experiment led by Colonel Chester Phillips, Tommy Lee Jones, and British agent Peggy Carter. And the reason I included Tommy Lee Jones' name? I had to actually look up, having seen this movie many times, I still had to look up his name, and I will refer to him for the rest of the podcast as Tommy Lee Jones.
3: (laughs) Good. I was having trouble remembering it myself. But is it again?
2: Colonel Chester Phillips. Of course. Playing Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) Of all the recruits, Steve is shown to be the bravest, most selfless, and most intelligent, so he is the first chosen for the Super Soldier experiment. But that night, before the experiment, Abraham tells Steve of his history, a refugee from Germany where the Nazis tried to force him to research these super soldier experiments, and Johann Schmidt, the head of Hitler's research division called Hydra, injected himself with Abraham's unfinished formula, giving him super strength, but also deforming his face into what Hitler himself would call the Red Skull. But now Abraham is more convinced that the formula is safe, and with the help of Howard Stark's technology, yes, that Howard Stark, it turns Rogers into a large, strong, agile super soldier. But Schmidt's spies had gotten word of the experiment, and Schmidt had sent his agent Heinz Kruger to infiltrate the experiment and steal the serum. Kruger kills Erksine and makes off with a vial of the experiment, but is stopped by Steve in a very public battle, and the last bottle of the serum is destroyed. A senator recruits Steve, now a famous hero for stopping Kruger, to be a spokesperson for the U.S. Army, going town to town raising money for war bonds as the hero, Captain America dangling the carrot that someday Rogers will have his own platoon, but Rogers is unfulfilled, and when he's sent overseas to raise the morale of actual troops, he's treated like a costume joke. But the joke is over when Peggy tells Steve of a Hydra attack that killed several soldiers and captured many more, including his friend Bucky Barnes. Phillips feels it's too dangerous to mount an attack, so Steve, aided by Peggy and Stark, parachutes alone into the Hydra base and rescues the troops. Now a real war hero, Rogers, as a real Captain America, leads a group of commandos on a number of raids, taking out Hydra base by base, but Schmidt has a master plan. He has captured a relic called a Tesseract, a glowing cube we saw at the end of Thor. The Tesseract has allowed Schmidt's chief scientist, Dr. Arnim Zola, to power laser guns that will change the course of the war. Schmidt plans to use these guns to destroy all of Hitler's enemies, as well as Hitler himself putting Schmidt in control of the world. In one raid, Bucky falls from a speeding train on a snowy mountain and is presumably dead, but Arnim Zola is captured on the same raid and reveals Schmidt's plans to the Allies. Rogers and Phillips' troops invade Hydra's last base, but Schmidt has already taken off with his laser laser laser-armed aircraft. Rogers gives chase and stops most of the Hydra troops, and when Schmidt touches the Cosmic Cube, he is disintegrated, transported into space. It's kind of hard to say. We'll talk about it, but he goes away and Rogers has to crash Schmidt's airplane into the Arctic to prevent the deaths of millions. But, about 70 years later, that airplane is found and turned over to S.H.I.E.L.D. under the command of Nick Fury, and Captain America, due to the super soldier serum, is able to be revived and finds himself in modern-day New York, as credits roll right into the trailer for The Avengers. So that is the movie. We'll get started, and I'm starting to see a pattern with Marvel films. I'm wondering if the Avengers is gonna start with a scene from about a third of the way or halfway through <laughs> the movie and then flashes back
1: to the beginning of the story. Look, it worked for Iron Man. <laughs> Why don't we just keep repeating that?
2: It did work well for Iron Man, and I think it's needed here to keep people from myself from thinking, don't worry. Avengers isn't going to take place in the ice what you're watching it's really just a prologue to the movie you really want to (laughs) see it's kind of like the Hobbit for Avengers fans
3: we're talking about this movie or the
2: prologue this movie is the prologue is what I'm saying
3: yes Well, I don't know that I I totally agree with you, Arnie. I'll just cop to it. I kind of like steampunk. I kind of like it when we have science fiction and earlier eras, and they use anachronistic technology within it. You know, you mentioned those movies, Shadow and Phantom, and I'll throw Dick Tracy in there, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Watchmen. You know, I'm not a comic book guy, but those ones I check out. I tend to gravitate towards that aesthetic, and I agree with you. They're all pretty bad, but... I think it's the biggest selling point is the visual look of this film. And right from the get go, I want to say, I think this is probably, as far as our direction anyway, the best looking Marvel movie we've
2: had. Oh, no. Thor, Thor, Thor. Oh,
1: I don't know. Stuart might be onto something here. I know where this story's going because I read the comics, I know Captain America's story. But I liked this opening, you know, before we get the flashback. I got this Thing vibe off of it, you know, this mysterious craft peeking out of the ice with almost a circle of lights around it as they were trying to discover what it is. It gripped me, even though I'm like, okay, yes, of course, Captain America is going to be in there. We know that. But I was still drawn in by this opening scene. Even
3: I knew that, thanks largely to movies I've seen before and tried to repress, but couldn't. <laughs> yes. And I agree. It plays more to a horror science fiction vibe. It's very X-Files, government agents showing up with a secret agenda and using high-tech lasers if i didn't know what movie i was watching i would not expect to see a red white and blue shield when they get inside that aircraft it's the setup for a big sci-fi action movie it's not the beginning of captain america at least if you didn't know the history but this seems pretty familiar you know you referenced the salinger one i feel like that one wasn't quite the bastardization i might have thought it was back then they kept it fairly
2: true it's shocking to me How this is so similar to the Salinger one, I'm reminded, Stuart, of when we did the Fantastic Four leg of this journey, and you said Corman's wasn't that much different from Tim Story's theatrical version. I kind of feel we have the same sort of parallel going on here. The difference is Salinger and the TV movies in the 70s both were either too afraid or lacked the budget to go full period piece, and here they just commit to it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing what an extra few hundred million dollars will do.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, let's see if they can do any better than Salinger. I think that's the real question. If they're going to cover the same terrain,
2: there's definitely room to improve. I'm just saying. And we go back to 42, but we don't start with Steve Rogers, which I wonder if this is the right choice. We start in Norway with the Red Skull discovering the Tesseract which is not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles villain. <laughs> that's the Terror Dome. No, that's the Terror dome. Okay.
3: Well, if I had not just watched Thor last week, this wouldn't make any sense to me at all. But yeah, this is all sort of agenda heavy here, right? They're checking boxes. Marvel needs to make sure that they make all the connective tissues To all their other properties here, you know, because this is the last one until they're all on the same screen together. So we've got to find a way to connect our most thorny character, the one that's not like (laughs) the others, with everything else. So, yeah, we're back in the very same village that we were at the beginning of Thor. A different era, of course. It's World War II, but it's the same place. And what we have here, I think, is the discovery of the device
2: That was at the end of Thor, right? Is that what this thing is? Well, I was going to say, Arnie, was this supposed to come out before Thor? No, it came out in the right order. It was always planned that way. And keep in mind, the trailer at the end always leads basically to the next film lately. And Iron Man 2 led straight to Thor. Thor with the Cosmic Cube leads to Iron Man. It's telling us this is the MacGuffin of the next film. And maybe the Avengers, but it was there to set it up for us here. And so when Red Skull says this was the jewel of Odin's treasure room, it's a reference back to Thor lo those many weeks ago.
1: See, and I was watching this and I was thinking man, this should have come before Thor because Thor seems so out there. If you're not into the Marvel Universe I would approach Thor wondering what the hell does this have to do with the rest of these superheroes? At least Captain America, I know. It's a superhero in a red, white, and blue outfit and you bring in this Thor mythology so when I get to Thor, okay, now I start connecting things. I'm seeing how Thor's connecting with the rest of this Marvel Universe. That said though I guess you have to have Captain America lead into the Avengers. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But a lot of this, I felt, would have been more appropriate before Thor to help explain his place in the Marvel Universe.
2: And I think a lot of this is the influence of Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon directed the after-credits scene of Thor, and Joss Whedon did a rewrite on the Captain America script. He didn't change any of the plot so much, but he inserted a lot of ties to make it fit more with the other Marvel movies.
3: But does it? Is this thing the same thing as the casket? It couldn't be, because the casket would be on Asgard right now,
2: right? No, it's not the casket. It's a separate device. It's a separate, all-powerful device. Odin had many in his treasure room. The keen eye would have seen the Infinity Gauntlet.
3: There was nothing in that room. It was like a big hallway with one pedestal and a blue box. That was it.
2: No, go back. Freeze frame. The Infinity Gauntlet is in there.
1: That means nothing to Stuart. <laughs>
2: I already feel confused, but
3: this was confusing to me. If they were trying to make connections to Thor, I was asking the questions I think they wanted me to ask, but I wasn't finding answers here. It's confusing. We only understand that, okay, the gods use blue laser technology, and even though it's not the very same device, all of their technology is based on that, I guess.
2: The Cosmic Cube confuses me here. It's called in the movie the Tesseract because theoretically, to Marvel Studios execs, that's more modern sounding than the Cosmic Cube, which is what this is called in the comics. Now, I hadn't really heard of a Cosmic Cube before this movie came out. I had to do some wikiing, and apparently it's something that makes all your wishes come true if you hold it.
1: It's the ultimate deuce ex machina, yes.
3: I was also starting to think it might be the Ark of the Covenant, particularly later.
2: Well, they make reference to Indiana Jones right here. I think they're making a dig, no pun intended, at Indiana Jones when Red Skull says, the Fuhrer digs for trinkets in the desert. I mean, that has to be a Raiders reference, right?
3: Well, Joe Johnson has worked for many years with Spielberg. He worked on the Indiana Jones pictures as an art director. He was there for that. So I don't know that it was a dig so much as a homage of hoping to recreate past glory. I'm not sure what you'd call it. But it didn't feel meaningful. Spirited. It also didn't feel completely original either. I don't know. It's going for Raiders. That's certainly a way to play with it. And I think that that's kind of ultimately how Captain America comes off. It's essentially an old serial that has just a little bit of science fiction in it. But it's period light.
2: I love the Raiders films. And it's one of the period pieces that I just absolutely go with. I really love the World War II era for films when it is done Perhaps, as you said, period light versus, say, the aviator.
1: Yeah, we don't want to have to face the harsh realities of the Holocaust and World War II in these movies. So, yes, period light. (laughs) Absolutely.
3: But I will say I don't think that they're dealing with the issues of the day with the same sort of starkness forgive the pun, as Iron Man did. I feel like there was more realism in the way that those two movies handled the current war scenarios than the way they want to treat World War II in this one. And it's probably the right choice, but it does feel of a lighter touch, less daring.
2: I hate to be the conspiracy theorist, but I can't help but wonder is this a Marvel decision or is this a Disney decision? Because by the time this movie came out and this movie was produced, That sale had gone through, and let's just say it. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones beat up Nazis. And in Captain America, Captain America is going to beat up not Nazis. He beats up
1: 200 fake Hitlers. This is a problem for me. I thought maybe just they wanted to be able to show it in Germany. I know they have a thing about swastikas on their media and that kind of stuff getting banned. I don't know how it works for period pieces, but it bugged me. And I remember hearing the rumors that you would not see one single Nazi. In this movie. Now, they come up with a workaround with Hydra being even the nazi -er Nazis, but... They're so much more Nazi than Nazi,
2: they raise both fists in salute. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, they're double Nazis.
3: Well, if I'm grateful for watching that David Hasselhoff movie for anything, it was for schooling me on what Hydra was. As soon as Hugo Weaving shows up in that awesome car, his hood ornament is that old octopus thing that I liked even in that cheesy TV movie. So, I knew what I was getting, and I accept it. You know, I think that this is the right choice, ultimately. I know that you have credited Captain America in his first issue as punching out Hitler... And that certainly would have been fun to see, but I think removing it one step and making it these science fiction Nazis, just slightly diverging it, takes away any problems one might have and what could be a potentially thornier issue.
2: But let's face it, I mean, did Indiana Jones cheapen the issue of World War II? Just because you have Indiana Jones doesn't mean you can't also have Schindler's List.
3: Ah, but Spielberg himself says that he's not sure that he would portray the Nazis the way he did in Raiders of the Lost Ark if he had made Schindler's first, that he had had a change of heart about it. And indeed, when he
1: did go back to Indy, there were no Nazis. And it was also a bad movie, but (laughs) we digress.
2: I feel it was too safe here. I don't think that it's a problem to show Nazis as bad guys. As you said earlier, this very podcast, Stuart, it's the most black and white you can get.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. It's not like I thought they were disguising it. He is affiliated with Hitler, but because he's disfigured, because he is not a super Aryan man, he has been shunned by him. He is actually a pariah to the Superman. And that's kind of an interesting conflict. I don't know. I kind of like what Hugo Weaving does in this. I think he makes for a really solid villain.
1: He always makes for a solid villain. And what I like about him even more is I always complain in superhero movies they always got to take off the mask because you don't pay george clooney or whatever movie star millions of dollars for their face to be covered up the whole movie
2: hugo weaving is that exception that proves the rule time after time though i mean i could not believe we never got him mugging for the camera in v for vendetta
1: which i was gonna bring up he's amazing in that like he brings so much to that character and you never see his face like, he's a person that could wear a mask and pull it off. I don't know if he has studied mime, but <laughs> he, he's a great physical actor, I feel. Like, he really has a presence, even when his face can't be seen. Absolutely. And
2: maybe it's because he's cheap, because it, I think it comes down to you don't pay for Robert Downey Jr. to not show Robert Downey Jr.'s face. And I'm not sure Hugo Weaving is exactly commanding the same salary. By the same token, it could just be Hugo Weaving has no vanity and truthfully commits to the honesty of the work. But yes, I'm very impressed in V for Vendetta and in this to his willingness to keep the makeup on.
3: Although it takes a while. I mean, it should be said when we see him in this opening scene, you may not know he's Red Skull. He is just... A guy like any other. The only indication we get is one of the Norse guys curses him and says, You will burn. And he says, I already have as he shoots him. So we know something has happened to him. But if you came to this really cold, I'm not sure you would know yet that the
2: transformation had already taken place. And speaking of transformations, we then go to Steve Rogers and he is Chris Evans, but smaller.
3: Thanks to Benjamin Button. <laughs> I know. This technology just keeps getting better and better. And I got to say, this stuff is amazing here. We all know what Chris Evans looks like. You know, he was running around topless in those two Fantastic Four movies and camping it up in Scott Pilgrim. We know he's not this figure, but when you see him here, it's a shocker. It's not like I don't know that there's special effects, but I completely buy the realism of him in the same frame as people that he's proportionally the same size of
1: in, in real life. Yes, this is not the Wayans brothers and Little Man. This is actual convincing (laughs) CGI work, putting his head on this smaller body. It's amazing looking.
2: They have so many special features discussing all the techniques used for this body thing, and... They shot almost all of these scenes four or five times, once with a small person there, once with Chris Evans there, once with nobody there, once with everybody there. It's all kinds of weird. Sometimes that is not a fake body. That is a completely artificial body. Other times it's Chris Evans' head pasted on another body. And I think one of them works better than the other, and I can't tell why, because the first scene where we see him in that physical, it really does look like a bad Photoshop job. The skin tones are totally different between the face and the chest. Everything is totally different. It works far better for me when he's clothed. But a lot of times, there's that uncanny valley, if you've heard about it, where something looks almost so real but not real enough that it comes across as creepy. And if you're before the uncanny valley then it's just animation. And if you're past the Uncanny Valley, it looks completely real. But if you're in the middle, it gets that creepy level.
3: If you're in the middle, you're riding the Polar Express.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is exactly it. That's the Uncanny Valley. A lot of times, especially when he had his shirt off, this was Uncanny Valley, the head is floating around for me.
3: The one thing I would catch sometimes is that he would be speaking in an animated way and his head would be bobbing and I didn't always feel like the neck would be moving with it. I mean, there were little moments that let you know that, yeah, it's not 100% yet, but you know what? It's about 85, it's about 88. I mean, they're getting really close, close enough that you certainly don't mind it. And I definitely think, that this was the way to go. I mean, Chris Evans could have done the Robert De Niro thing and starved himself down, and Christian Bale in The Mechanic, if you saw that little movie. I mean, there's definitely actors that love the physicality and would go for it, but even they can't shrink. I mean, the idea of making him so short here, it sets us up for how far he's going to come. He doesn't just get muscles, he becomes an entirely different person because of the super serum. And I think we need to see a dramatic before picture in order to fully
1: appreciate the after. Maybe that was Reb Brown's problem. We just never saw the before.
2: That is a lot of the problem with Reb. We've said that, yes. Here, I prefer the face pasting versus a totally different actor playing the part. I really do think this is the better way to go since the technology's as close as it is. It just every so often struck me as creepy. What I did like, what was... Completely realistic to me, and I never expected would be, is Chris Evans' performance as a meek, puny guy. I couldn't believe that Chris Evans, who I really only know from Scott Pilgrim and Fantastic Four, could ever play humble. To me, he's the jock who's just gonna kick sand in your face. And when he was cast as Captain America, I was probably as upset as most people were when they heard Michael Keaton was Batman. And I really was impressed with how he pulled these scenes off.
3: Chris Evans is kind of indistinct. You know, he's had trouble finding the role that makes him stand apart. From his peers. You know, it's like, he's who you go to if Jake Gyllenhaal and James Franco said no. You know, he's just sort of the dude. He's in that range but he hasn't had a breakout hit and if he didn't have an iconic part soon he probably would get forgotten. You know, just like Josh Hartnett or something. You know, you have that moment in that window where you have about five years to take up fame and to ride the cloud of hype and really turn it into something. And it really didn't look like it was going to happen for Chris Evan until this moment. For better or for worse He better suck it up because he is Captain America
1: from this point forward. I'll give him this. I think this is a tough role to play because this Captain America, this Steve Rogers is such a goody good Boy Scout throughout the entire film. Like he never goes into Batman Dark Knight mode and gets out of control crazy. Like, you know, they ask him, hey, do you want to kill Nazis? I just don't like bullies, which I kind of have a problem with that. But he does it totally sincerely. It's not done with camp. And I got to give him credit for that because I think this is a tough role to play the way they wrote the Steve Rogers.
3: Absolutely, And you know what? I think it's refreshing. We've seen so much brooding. I mean, so many of these Marvel characters are psychologically tortured, and they use their other identity to lash out. The, the violence is a manifestation of their inner anger. Well, here you're right. Him becoming Captain America is a manifestation of who he is, but the kid's all heart. It's not rage. And I think that's refreshing. So many of these characters, from even ones I like, like Wolverine, they're just based on anger. And here, yeah, we have someone that's upstanding. I mean,. It's harder to play, I agree, and it does run the risk of being smaltzy, but Evan sells it. I really never felt like it was contrived. I really believed, partly because he was this little guy picking fights in an alley with bullies, I could go with it.
2: I completely agree with Stuart. I mean, there's three ways you can do this. You can do this as brooding, you can do this the way they did, and the third way is to go campy Batman, and he's such a boy scout, and everybody around him is rolling their eyes.
3: Oh, Arnie, but you could also paint cats and smoke a doobie in the back of your van don't forget
2: that he draws later on i think there's a callback, but (laughs) maybe
3: so i think it's telling red brown
2: was not asked to cameo in this he was very upset very upset
3: (laughs) what did that look like did he get any emotion on his face i'd love to see it
2: (laughs) but i really think his portrayal here sells me and the fact that they do it for so long we spend a lot of time with what they call Skinny Steve, and we get to see him hanging out with Bucky Barnes, his cooler built friend who got into the army. Is that the Stark Expo they go to? It has to be, right?
1: Yeah, they called it the World Expo at the beginning, but it's got to be the same thing. They had that same globe that Iron Man and War Machine flew through in that movie.
3: I kind of took it to mean that Stark wasn't quite the known quantity, that he was a big part of it, but that it hadn't become Stark Expo yet, that it was a world fair that he was the main attraction to.
1: He hadn't started setting up the popcorn stands in the shape of some unknown molecular structure yet.
3: <laughs> no, he's just inventing flying cars, which I kept thinking with Chris Evans there. I'm like, is that the future Fantastic Four mobile? <laughs>
1: And they even have this outfit. It says Modern Marvels, the synthetic man, and it's very Iron Man looking.
3: A lot of this movie is about making those connections. And sometimes I feel like it's clunky, but sometimes it's kind of fun. I'm going to say right now, I'm really glad that they worked in the Howard Stark thing. I wasn't anticipating it. It never occurred to me that they could... build that character into this but it was an
1: inspired stroke it does create a unity with the other films that we've seen well howard stark is throughout this entire film i was not expecting that he goes off to germany in this
3: I know. And more to the point, they've cast him with a new actor. Now I got to ask, Dominic Cooper, I think he's pretty good. I've seen him in a couple movies. He was in that pretty bad Marilyn Monroe movie and that even worse Saddam Hussein double movie and education. I like him. I think he's got some charisma. But do you think that they could have gotten away with Putting Downey here, I mean, that would have been another way to go. I mean, it would have told you instantly the connection if Downey was
2: playing his father. First of all, they couldn't afford Downey for this role. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, it wasn't until my second viewing that I realized it wasn't Topher Grace. That's not good. (laughs) I thought the entire first time it was Topher Grace. The only thing I've seen this guy in was starter for 10 with James McAvoy, and I didn't recognize him from anything. I really just thought it was Venom.
3: Yeah, but he's pretty good here. I got to say, he studied Downey. He knew what he was doing. You can see from this kind of guy, it would become something even more grandiose. That, like, he's the lesser obnoxious uh, dandy.
2: Oh, I love him in this. He's hysterical. He's funny to watch. He has enough callbacks to Tony Stark. The way he comes out on the stage at the Stark Expo is a direct callback to Iron Man 2 and all the ladies around him just like Tony but he does it in a way that feels right for the time like a Hollywood star from the 40s.
1: Oh he took me back to some of those Hollywood characters from The Aviator kind of that Hollywood way of speaking you have the pencil thin mustache yeah I I thought he fit the role well.
3: And of course Stark and you know I also think Bruce Wayne and all the comic book characters of that era that were rich billionaires they were all all based on Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was the real-life superstar, and he is the obvious model for someone that could create a super persona.
2: And what's funny to me is, The first time I saw this movie, I didn't feel connections to Iron Man 2 except for by name. But having seen Iron Man 2 now just two weeks ago when they said Howard Stark was a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D., here he is. All of it, really, the Stark Expo tied in so well that it felt far more planned than I'd noticed.
1: Yeah, this film really feels like it's pulling all of these Marvel films. proper films together but it doesn't seem contrived or forced they're just peppering it throughout yeah a good job i wouldn't have been able to
3: anticipate that they could connect us so readily with those first two movies i was expecting to not get that until much later after he was the character
2: and especially to do it 60 years to 70 years before any of the other films Mm. that's the trick
1: Retconning is so hard to do, but they're doing a hell of a job retconning everything here.
2: Literally. I mean, it's retroactive continuity, not only in that the movie takes place later, but in that it comes earlier. It is tremendous. As a continuity geek, I'm all over it. But it's at the future Stark Expo that we are introduced to Dr. Abraham Erskine, Stanley Tucci.
3: Another... Popular character actor I usually enjoy seeing in most things. Uh, recently in The Hunger Games, Devil Wear Prada, Big Night, I think, was a movie I really remember him from. I like him. I gotta say, though, I feel like this movie is really well populated here, and I know they have to kill the guy because he's got the magic formula, but wouldn't it just make more sense if Stark was the one that found this kid and they didn't have to have this other scientist? I mean, there's a lot of characters that are being introduced and floating around here in this first 40 minutes.
2: There really are because you've got both sides and you've got scientists and sub-scientists and all these various things and military people that come in later. But by the same token, I think they are trying to be true enough to their own comics. It wouldn't have worked to kill the guy who made the formula if that guy was Howard Stark. Having him die in World War II that ages Tony too much.
3: No, but not only that, but it breaks continuity with what they did. I'm not saying killing him, but maybe it was a one-time-only affair that the planets aligned that gave him the Captain America power. There's ways of writing it. All I'm saying is, Abraham is a character that's functional. He's not one of the characters I really connect with here, even though I like Stanley Tucci, and he does the best with what's essentially a glorified cameo.
1: I think you need someone like this that is defected from Nazi Germany, came over to the U.S., wants to help the Allies, so they reckon who has the heart to be Captain America, who has the heart to take on the power that this serum will give him? I don't think Howard Stark's best suited for that choice. Yeah, you're true that.
2: And more, they did the same thing here that they did in the Salinger Captain America, where they made the Red Skull also the product of the Super Soldier Serum. If you go back and listen to that podcast, that's not the Red Skull's comic book origin. And... By tying it together, it does make the story cleaner than if you just had somebody who happens to run around with a really weird mask on, or had to explain a third thing going on that would deform him and make him a worthy nemesis, but by having it be the same origin, the super soldier gone bad, you have to have somebody who came from Germany.
3: Although it brings up the point that I did in that podcast too, which is American military is now ready to endorse Nazi scientific experiments. I mean, I guess whatever it takes to win and he- he's claiming it's gotten better, but Einstein. Einstein didn't actually do commit eugenics against people. I mean, the idea that they were doing these weird experiments that disfigured people and that Americans were going to follow suit, eh, it's a little dicey, but you know, we're all having fun here. It didn't bother me in the moment.
2: And keep in mind, all we hear about how the Red Skull became the Red Skull is told to us by Abraham, who, I don't know if you guys got this, out of the performance I got, he may not be a reliable narrator. There might be more to the story than he's telling.
3: No, what gave you that impression? I didn't have that.
2: Tucci's acting, the way he delivers the lines, the way he's a little cagey about not wanting to go through with it and... This wasn't ready and things like that. I don't know. I just felt like there might be more there. And it was mostly the actor than the script that told me this.
1: Well, he did indirectly help the Nazi or Nazis to form by creating the Red Skull through his serum. So I could see why he might be kind of nervous.
3: But, you know, I think he's come to the conclusion that it amplifies whoever you are. So it's important to find the right person. You can't inject anyone and expect to have a super soldier. They've got to be a super person. You know, they've got to have character. And they're implying that if you inject a Nazi, they'll just become a worse Nazi.
2: And I do like the scenes of where Steve is proving himself when we get to the army base and Tommy Lee Jones shows up. I didn't expect to like the scenes, nor did I expect Tommy Lee Jones to stay throughout the movie. Much like we mentioned with Howard Stark, I thought Tommy Lee Jones would show up for the boot camp scenes and we wouldn't see him again.
3: I wish that had happened.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, he is playing Tommy Lee Jones here. I mean, whether I'm watching The Fugitive, U.S. Marshals, or Men in Black, or this, or to some degree, Batman Forever, I'm getting the same performance.
3: Oh. <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah, I'll hold off on that. couple
1: weeks.
2: But I like what he brings to it. He is strangely, I guess, old enough that he fits with that attitude in any time period.
1: You know, he's playing the gruff army general. It's a stereotype, but he does it well. I enjoyed his performance.
3: I just feel like he's one of the lesser characters here. I didn't know his name, as you've already pointed out. He doesn't do anything different throughout the movie. He's the same character at the beginning. At the end, he's the cranky boss. you know, In Spider-Man terms, he's Jay Jameson. He's the one that's kind of raining on the parade all the time. So how can you really like the guy? I don't know. He's not very functional to the plot.
2: But he brings more to it than just most bosses because the way he delivers his lines is so amusing. Almost all of his lines is quotable just because of his delivery and his looks and the way that he's just constantly rolling his eyes at this little guy in the training program. And later on in the film, when he's interrogating Dr. Zola, every time he's on the screen, I'm happy to see him. He's not a very well-developed character, but he's certainly an enjoyable one and one of the few light presences in this film.
3: Well, I'm glad you thought so. I kind of ignored him. I don't know what else to say. I guess I felt like I'd been there and done that, and I was more captivated by things I hadn't seen before in the movie. He wasn't
2: it. And I have to say, I really felt a moment of Pride in Steve the first time I saw this film when he throws himself on that grenade.
1: Again, it's so Boy Scout and like it shouldn't work, but it does. It tells you everything you need to know about Steve Rogers and. I guess it's just so sincere it's hard to be cynical about it.
3: Yeah, and I'm going to credit Evans. It's not the script because, yeah, if you cast somebody else in it, I think we would all be rolling our eyes. He really does not come to this part with any sort of disdain. You know, I don't get the sense that he's just doing it for a paycheck or doing it because his agent talked him into it. He's committed fully to being this altruistic character, and I don't sense it being contrived at
2: all. And he sells me on his lines when he realizes the grenade is fake. And he looks up and goes, is this a test? I mean, that's a line that under the wrong actor could be laugh-worthy or be groan-worthy. And here, it just comes off so sincere and so naive, and I can't believe how much I'm enjoying this film, when in fact I'm not seeing anything I haven't seen before.
3: Well, you know, he's just of a different era. I guess I now in these moments get why you can't have it in contemporary. We're just too jaded now. I feel like people wouldn't be that person. I I feel like that is a harder person to meet these days. But in a fanciful World War II where we think of it as the good war, we imagine people like Steve being in the trenches and, and fighting the good fight. So I think that's where it's really helpful to have this movie be period is the way we think about that time period is the way that Steve behaves.
1: The greatest generation. I mean, if you've seen The Hurt Locker, which is a great film, kind of a similar character going out, defusing bombs, you know, getting in the (laughs) way of them. But a very different movie, very dark, very jaded, very different than Captain America.
3: Indeed, that would be a very interesting new Captain America and played by Hawkeye. Someone from the universe, but yes.
2: The other character we're introduced to at this boot camp is Peggy Carter, a Brit involved in the super soldier experiment
3: female to boot i'm sorry but god love them i wouldn't even make a different choice but they have made so many modern pc concessions in this you know we have asians fighting in the army black people fighting in the army yeah it's just a head scratcher when i see this lady in a position of authority who's not even american i don't understand it is she shield is that what i'm supposed to get
2: they're all shield aren't they this is The organization that goes on to become S.H.I.E.L.D. They're the ones who are making super soldiers. They're going to end up making Hulks. The way that the World Tech Expo becomes the Stark Expo at the end of the movie, when Nick Fury shows up, there was a longer version where he says the strategic scientific initiative became S.H.I.E.L.D.
3: Okay. So it is at least partly funded by the U.S. military. That was always a question I had about S.H.I.E.L.D., but I didn't totally get that from this reading, and it's where, you know, if Chris Evans is selling me on the authenticity of this romanticism, she's the character that I'm always going, huh? How did you get in here? It just seems done entirely for contrived reasons, entirely because they want to have a love story to hit that demographic.
1: Well, again, she is a character from the comics. Years later, after Rogers is unfrozen, he falls in love and works with her niece. It was retconned. Is this the one who grew old on the beach in California? Yes, this is Sharon Carter's aunt, essentially. <laughs> But in the comics, she was a freedom fighter in the French Resistance. I mean, you could have gone that route where they meet up over in Europe and she's, you know, fighting in the underground. But I feel we have to get her in here. Yeah. But I'm glad we got her in here sooner than later.
2: You know what, though? I wasn't alive during World War II. I remember being shocked in the 50s during Thing From Another World that they'd have women... Serving coffee? (laughs) But stationed in the Arctic. I agree with you. It took me out of it the moment I saw a female in a position of authority, even though we get the one scene where one guy tries talking to her and she proves she's tough. She never really shows that side of herself again, and it's there just to try to convince us, Stuart, the... (laughs) cynics yeah but yeah it does feel like both a story concession and a pc concession i kind of like the way salingers did it a bit better
3: but with it being a girlfriend back home you mean yeah as opposed to in the line of fire well you know if you tell me that this is shield and shield is a more progressive entity than anything else that was fighting in world war ii okay i'll go with it but it was in the moment that seems weird and out of place here
2: and we'll talk about their love story as the movie progresses but first she wouldn't fall in love with puny Steve. We need to bulk him up. Now, Stuart, you've had a problem with the past ones about Captain America taking super steroids. How do you feel about Vita Rays, which are, I guess, like vitamins in ray form?
3: Yeah, well, it's still got a roots and steroids, but there's also a Frankenstonian mad genius to it, too, right? There's lightning involved. Like, they inject his cells with some kind of drug, but then you need large masses of electricity to stimulate the growth or something. I mean, it looks like some kind of torture chamber when they strap him down into it. It looks definitely like something out of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein.
2: I'm just so glad... We don't have the scene of the transformation and see the arms inflate and all of that. I mean, that's been done to the end of the Earth with Hulk. I expected it here. The fact that it all takes place in the canister might have been a cost savings, but I felt it was refreshing.
1: Yeah, you're using your special effects to create this puny Steve. I think it works better to just see him emerge huge. You don't want to see the transformation. You want to see that stark before and after vision.
2: Plus, it's like a cocoon, right? It's like he's entering the pupa stage and coming out the fully formed Captain America.
1: And they don't
3: over-exaggerate it, too. When he comes out, he's not the Hulk. I mean, don't get me wrong. Chris Evans has definitely been working out, but it doesn't look unnatural. It doesn't look like they've used computer technology to enhance his physique, I still buy him as a credible human being. Like I said, it isn't just that he's gotten buff, it's he's gotten big. And it's not even the way that he looks, it's the way that he moves. It's everything in this moment. And it is a stunner when the lid pops out and there he is. Everyone is in awe.
2: The one thing I know about Captain America from reading a lot of behind-the-scenes guides to comic books is that in the comic book universe, he's not super strong. He's not super fast. He's not super. He is the peak of human ability. As fast as the fastest human can run is how fast he can run, but he couldn't keep up with the Flash. And as strong as a very strong human is is how strong he is, but he couldn't compete with the Hulk. Here, he's far more super, but... It's supposed to still be relatable and not be Superman.
3: I think it's helpful to see him as having skills beyond any other soldier in World War II. That he is the strongest fighter that they have. I think that you need to know that. And if that means making him supernatural, so be it.
1: And I don't think they made him real supernatural in this. I mean, yes, he could run pretty fast. He catches up with some cars. we get an action scene right away. He could jump over some high fences. We're not getting the bionic man sound effects, though. We're not seeing bullets bounce (laughs) off of him. I mean, he could punch really hard. We see that with the Red screen. Too. He could punch through a shield, but they're not Superman, I don't feel.
2: Maybe he can run really fast because he's doing the Tom Cruise and karate chopping the air. (laughs)
1: Yes. I did like, you know, he's running so fast, he tries to turn a corner and can't quite make it and skids into a window. I thought that was a good demonstration of the speeds he was going at, and that he was still new to this new role.
2: I loved it because it was subtle, and because we've seen so often people break off doorknobs in their hand. But being so fast that you're not used to turning so loose... I really like that one.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's a fool just getting out of the gate. And thats you're right, we need to see him break up the bridal shop. We need to see him not in command of his body yet. It's new. It's within minutes that this has all happened. Within minutes, his whole body is transformed, his mentor is dead, and he's chasing down a Nazi spy who's blown up the laboratory. I mean, it's a lot to take in. And I, I agree, he plays
1: it just right.
2: I also like he's still the polite guy. He crashes through the bridal shop window and he apologizes.
1: I think my favorite part of this chase is the Nazi spy takes a kid hostage, tosses him into the ocean, and Steve runs over to save him. He's like, "Nah, I can swim. Go get him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I so thought that was going Superman 2 and – Steve would have to let the soldier go to save the kid. Isn't that how it always goes? Right. It was so refreshing. I can swim. And
3: you've just nailed it for me, that maybe he is just as square as Superman, but the world that he lives in isn't quite as fanciful. I mean, they aren't that silly about it. A little kid will tell him off and be like, no, go get the Nazi. I can make it to shore. I did like that moment, too. And he has to chase him down in a... What is this? This is the first element of where I feel like, okay, this is larger than life. His escape craft is a one-man submarine?
2: The Hydra, I think they started larger than life when they crashed through that wall with their super bulldozer tank thing, which is a bit large. Yeah, every time we see them, they have some new piece of gadgetry or something that any one of which would probably have won the war for the Nazis and they have like eight.
3: Well, my question is, is the Tesseract powering all of this? Do they have better technology than existed in the day because they have this Thor, Odin, magical device?
2: Not at this point. At this point, they just have that technology because they're the research division. And I do know some of it is based on actual Nazi designs that they never had time to finish. So as fantastical as it looks to us, things like later on when the Red Skull has an escape pod, Hitler was actually designing that just in case. So I think they have the prototypes before they'd actually get put into production because they're the ones who make the weapons. They are Q.
1: We did see earlier... That Dr. Zola and the Red Skull, Johann Schmidt, they had started harvesting the power of this cube and able to put it into guns and different weapons. I don't think they had started mass producing it at this point yet. So I think this might have just been some cool little steampunky Nazi submarine. Well, I like
3: it anyway. Like I said, I just like these kinds of designs. It was a fun looking vessel. It totally
2: surprised
3: me. I didn't think we'd go from the taxi cab chase to this, but I liked it.
2: But because of this, Captain America is now known throughout the country and instead of being sent to the front lines, he's sent to raise money. He is Uncle Sam now. He's on the I Want You posters and Stuart, I really had to bite my tongue back when we were doing the Red Brown and Salinger Captain Americas because you said he needs to be out there as a symbol and he wouldn't really be going into combat and I'm like, I had to ask you back then if you'd seen these because this is exactly where they take them, where you said they have to. So now that they do, what do you think?
3: You know, it's a joke. It's comedy and it's levity. I think it's the unexpected and I appreciate that. I was totally surprised. I was not expecting them to merge the world of the serial. There is a Captain America serial, and they actually work it in here that that's the real Captain America going Hollywood while soldiers were laying down their life fighting Nazis in height.
1: You know, I said when they introduced... Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury in this series. There's this weird Mobius strip where Samuel Jackson inspired the ultimate version of Nick Fury and now here's Samuel Jackson actually playing Nick Fury. This is just weird. We get actual Captain America comics in this movie. Captain America was actually in the Captain America serials. You know, there's a great comic book series. I think you would actually like this one, Stuart, called The Boys, where all superheroes are products of the military and they're awful, horrible people. And comic books were like the prop propaganda to get the public to like them. So I'm just having this weird experience seeing Captain America be the actual inspiration for the comics and for the serials and maybe even this movie that we're watching now. Yeah, it was fun.
2: In addition to the serial, I really liked the homage to Captain America number one. Jacob, you have said how many times that you like Nazis getting punched in the jaw?
1: I'll say it again. I love Nazis getting punched in the jaw. In any part of their body, I like them to get punched.
2: (laughs) And this is really the only nazi we get to see captain america fight is this fake one on stage this wonderfully comic charlie chaplin-esque adolf hitler who sneaks out and captain america punches out 200 times i thought it was a great way to work in all of this comic book lore into this quote-unquote real world
1: yeah i did like it if i'm not gonna get real nazis getting punched in this movie at least i'm getting some form of hitler and i like that this seems like a very real type of american buy bonds propaganda you'd get in world war ii our super american punching out hitler so i'm going with it i'm buying it
3: it's the closest thing we get to satire. You know, I definitely feel like they're treating this all with kids gloves. They don't want to make a satirical Captain America. They don't want to make a propaganda Captain America. They want to make a Captain America movie that anyone in the world can watch and not have their own personal bias about what America represents come up for them. You forget that he's Captain America in this setting. And here, this is the only time when I was actually reminded of the political circumstances of the war.
2: To that point, They actually added the moniker The First Avenger to this film because they planned on marketing it internationally just as The First Avenger and taking Captain America out of the title entirely because... Some countries don't view us as favorably as we may view ourselves. And then those other countries were like, no, Captain America's a name-recognizable thing. We'll make more money if we call you Captain America. So I do think the world over it ended up being Captain America, the first Avenger, but they were worried about it.
3: Yeah, I think that's why he didn't come earlier. I think it's why they waited until the fifth Avengers movie to finally get to him is that there was some real hand-wringing, much like when they rebooted G.I. Joe about how do we do this and not offend
1: people. Well, congrats. They did it. I'm going to say for better or for worse, they did it. Yes. I don't know if I'm totally going with it. I think it's a little watered down, but I'm still going with it. I'm still hanging in there.
2: Right. And I'm just impressed that they're able to work through all this comic book continuity. I wonder if I were a licensee of Marvel getting a property that I would take so much care to include so many details. I talked about this in Iron Man, about how I can't believe they gave three armors for Iron Man in one movie. Here... They go through the trouble to give him that shield and all of it trying to be more character driven. First, he starts with the classically shaped shield, then evolves to the round shield. It's just these details Marvel puts in that make me smile, but... I think they have really good script writers going on or editors because they do it in a way that doesn't feel like it's waiting the movies down.
1: Yeah, I was shocked they went with that classic shaped shield. I think in the comics, Captain America had a shield like that for like three issues. And then they got timely comics at the time, threatened to be sued because another comic book publisher had a character called the shield where that was their insignia. So then they went with the classic round shield. But I, I was surprised he actually goes into combat with that classic shield for a little bit.
3: You're talking about his Star Spangled Man outfit. right
1: yes yes
3: right that's a good way to transition from the comedy back into the action that i'm looking for i want to see captain america do something here and this movie does take its time to deliver him and to give him something to really fight other than that nazi chase which for my taste ended all too quickly i feel like it's fine to have a joke but i was also when it was over ready for him to go to war i was happy that he made the decision to go get bucky when he finds out Bucky and 200 other guys have been taken captive by Hydra, he's going to go into battle and he's going to do it in the Captain America uniform. Right? That's both amusing and heroic.
2: I mean, that's pretty brave to go in spandex to fight <laughs> not. Well, the way they sell it, it actually works for me. He was about to go on stage. He's worried for Bucky, his friend from back home, and he's just not going to change. It's not like he has military gear in, that he can change into anyway, None that's his so he just grabs a bomber jacket and the way they get the a helmet it's not even part of his star-spangled man outfit it's one of the girls helmets and since he's parachuting he needed a helmet and the helmet said u s and a and they just happen to grab the a it's silly but yet i like it as a believable way to go about
1: it it's much better than a motorcycle helmet we can all <laughs> agree on that
2: And then he does finally get into real battle on his own. I was surprised to see Howard Stark flying the plane. And if I hadn't thought Howard Hughes before this point, which I had,
1: but if I hadn't, this would really drive it home. Yeah, the only man qualified that could get the plane in there under fire. Convenient, but okay. Surprised it wasn't the Spruce Goose.
2: But Captain America gets a big action scene here and it really kicks ass. I'm excited because it's been an hour coming. You think it's great?
1: I enjoy it. I thought it was fast-paced. It was moving. We got some cool, you know, throw in the shield. We got some cool shots in there. I'm enjoying it. That's where I'm at, too. It's fun. I have no nits to
2: pick. We do get a pivotal moment right in the factory here. It should be brought up.
3: Hugo Weaving rips off the, what, human mask, the disguise, the natural face prosthetic that he had been wearing. What's going on here? I'm confused. Is he ashamed of his red skull?
2: I think he's still trying to fit in with the Aryan aesthetic to some degree, although they tease us. He's being hidden in silhouette and people are afraid to look at him, but it's more for the audience's sake than any sense of reality
3: cap gets one punch in and it kind of makes his lower eyelid go wobbly you can see a little bit of unnatural red underneath and that means you rip the whole thing off
1: and throw it into the fire (laughs) It's psychological warfare i mean obviously this is a guy that has the same strength as you you got to freak him the hell out you got to get some edge on him physically he's your equal Yeah,
3: I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, it is intimidating. And I got to say, best Red Skull makeup we've seen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not much of a contest, but I agree.
2: You know what? I like the Frank Hellraiser makeup in Salinger's one. You're not going to get me to diss it. But this is very good. I like how far CGI plus classical makeup has evolved to where, in conjunction, they can give us this. So he rescues Bucky and all the others, and for this, he's a real war hero, and that senator from the beginning is going to give him a medal, but he's too busy actually being a soldier to do the pomp. And so instead for Pomp, we get Stan Lee. Now, Stan Lee didn't create Captain America, right? Nope. He's the
3: icon of Marvel. He gets to be in any movie that he says. I mean, they're just going to keep trotting the guy out until he can't do it anymore.
1: I mean, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon created Captain America, and Kirby did a ton of stuff with Stan Lee, and Stan Lee stole it all, so why not steal the show here and get a cameo in something he didn't create?
3: Oh, wow. I Wading into something controversial I didn't even realize. Is there no other artists that they could go to that are long time that they could put in no. here
2: but would you recognize him
3: no
1: and there are most of them are all long gone stan lee's the last one i mean there might be one or two others left alive but i think he's the only one that's still coherent No, well, there you go
2: plus the rationale i think given is stan lee revived captain america in the 60s so with
1: the avengers
2: i guess good enough yep and now as a real soldier, Cap's little show outfit gets an upgrade because he's become attached to the Cilia uniform. It's a leap of logic that I don't know why I entirely go with, but you got to have him in the costume.
3: It's an upgrade. I mean, it's not the costume from the stage show. He goes to Stark and says, hey, how about you make this cool?
1: I guess I'm willing to go with it because I like the comic books. I would be scratching my head if I didn't get a Captain America in the red, white, and blue. I liked how they militarized The outfit, you know, much like in X-Men First Class when they give them these flight suits and it's not the standard blue and yellow spandex, but it's definitely an homage to those original costumes. I like this. You know, it looked militarized. It looked like something you could wear into battle, even if it's, uh, you know, a little bit flamboyant, not the best camouflage. (laughs) I like
2: it too. I really do. I like the look of it. Truthfully, though, if somebody came at you attacking you in that, you might be more dumbfounded by the stripes than afraid of the gun. Hey,
1: the Nazis have a guy with a red skull, and we got a guy wearing a flag as an outfit. I mean, psychological warfare throws you off your game.
2: But I do like the way they made it work, it's daunting. I mean, you, if it goes wrong, you're making fantastic four, right? So it's a daunting thing to make these comic book spandex outfits and put real people in them. And especially in a period, I think they did the absolute best they could. And I it ended up with an outfit that I like because it does feel of the
1: time. Yeah. I'll yes. just put it out there now and maybe my mind will be changed next week. But everything I've seen of the modern age Captain America outfit looks a bit goofy. It doesn't work quite as well as this outfit does for me. And- In this period piece.
3: I think Arnie nails it. It feels like they could have made this outfit then. Using what they had for resources. Do I like the outfit? No. But then again, I don't tend to like most of these outfits. They were stuck with what had been done in the comic. I just don't think I'm a fan of Captain America's aesthetic, but it's functional, and it looks right, and Evans pulls it off. Maybe someone else wouldn't be able to sell it, but he's earnest about it. When he wears it, I believe him. Well, here's actually the part of the movie where I feel it kind of turns, and that up to this point, it's been an origin story, and I've enjoyed following that origin, watching them make the connections, and go for it. Now, here's the movie. Now, here's the part that none of us know what's going to happen next, other than he's going to get to Antarctica. And here I feel like it's almost too short. Things happen so fast, both in the action scenes and later in montages, that I'm almost saddened that we leave World War II at the end of this because they've done such a epic job of building up this world. We leave it so quickly. It's this fight scene... And the one at the end, and that's really all that we're gonna get here with some montages in between.
2: Yeah, I agree. Only when I saw this the first time, it felt almost like it was too long. Like this it felt like almost a mini series or a serial in that. We had the origin story, but now we get these weird chapters that don't really feel like they're part of a story so much as anecdotes like issues of a comic book, but not one with an overall arc.
3: They're hitting marks, and case in point, you know, he's gonna go in there, he's gonna go to rescue Bucky, that's the only one we should care about, because they're the only one that they've set up. But then there's all these other dudes that are in the cages, and they make a point of later saying he's joining his team, and they're all gonna be in it together. Now, Jacob, I'm sure that these are referenced in the comics somewhere. Who are these guys?
1: Yeah, this is actually Nick Fury's group. I wonder where Nick Fury is, what his origin story is in this Marvel movie universe, but this is the Howling Commandos, a multiracial, multi- ethnic group of World War II soldiers that ran around fighting the bad guys. Of course, this group of the Howling Commandos, this we'll all get along despite our ethnicity and race, of course, came in 1963. It was still a retcon. So if we're accusing things of being a little too PC in this film, well, they are going off the comic books from the 60s, which were pretty PC.
3: I bring them up specifically because this is the part of the story where it stops feeling like an origin story and more like hitting Marvel marks. Little X's on the floor of like, oh, we gotta get this in, and we gotta get this in, and we probably should get this in. And they're going through it so quickly that I feel like, oh, great, they have this team that really does only one thing on a train, and then they're gone. For the sake of this movie, they probably shouldn't have gone there. we are only got another 50 minutes in World War II. Why add more characters? Why do this?
1: It is a strange choice because I don't think any of these characters are going to come back unless they all got shot up with Super Soldier, sir. And they're able to live till they're 150.
2: I think that they are leaving their marks open. Remember we said during Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Hasselhoff, Dr. Arnim Zola has a TV as a chest and his face is on it. I think that they're saying maybe next time Arnim Zola will come back as the TV monster. Maybe Bucky comes back. They're certainly opening all these doors just like they did in Hulk by bringing in Doc Samson and bringing in the leader and all these other things. They don't know exactly what they're going to do, but they're going to set it up no matter what. (laughs)
3: I guess I don't like that. I guess that feels like bad storytelling to me. That's great for when you're world building and they need to do that if they're going to make the entire Marvel Universe but for this movie here, it's just messy. We care about Bucky. It's funny, when he finally sees Bucky strapped down to some table or something babbling he unties him. He's like, what happened to you? It's the first time we realize he hasn't seen the transformation. He's like, I joined the army. I'm like, that's so much fun. We should have developed these characters more. They're on the double dates and then later he sees the girl he's going for a carter and he says maybe as a sister we can double date all that stuff that's the character i want to focus on not these other five or six guys that are just kind of here as distraction and you're right as just setting up something for the future they're putting the cart before the horse you got to think about what you're doing at this moment now and not what you want to do in some spinoff three years from now
2: But I don't know that it bothers me here because they're not the focus. They're just background character commandos. Other than Dugan, I'm not even sure. I guess they say the names of a couple of them in passing. But for me, I didn't know who they were. And they are just there as background troops who... We have the same troops in every battle scene instead of new troops in every battle scene, but I didn't feel they drew away the focus too much.
3: Well, what they did was they drew my attention. I'm like, who's the guy with the funny mustache? Who is the Asian guy? I'm thinking about them. They're here. They've underlined them. They must have a point. When they totally drop out of the picture, it's really weird to me.
2: I agree, and I wish that they'd done a little bit more of the connecting with Those characters or just more of the focus on Cap and Bucky because like you say basically after this now he's a real war hero then we go into a montage that would make Rocky proud of Captain America and his howling commandos taking out every single Hydra base and here is where I think Captain America should have fought some damn Nazis. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a montage, did they have to all be Hydra? There's not a single Nazi in Europe for Captain America to stumble
1: upon. <laughs> well, and the thing is, they set it up that Hydra's going after the Nazis. The Nazis are the victims in this movie. I don't know if that works for me. <laughs> They even call it out, saying, well, the first country Hitler invaded was his own. <sighs> okay. You guys are definitely more keyed into this than I
3: was. It didn't really occur to me. I mean, Hydra is Nazis, and, you know, they're all German anyway, so it wasn't like I wasn't looking at Nazis. You're right. I wasn't looking at swastikas. And is that a bad choice? I don't know. It may have been distracting. We may have be having a podcast about how flippant they were with using hateful insignias. I don't know. It allows a larger body of audience to go along with a popcorn ride because this movie is not interested in dealing with politics. You know, it's not even Iron Man wanted to wrestle with modern day warfare. This movie doesn't want to debate issues about World War II, it just wants to show Captain America fighting the good war.
2: It just kind of pisses me off, because in the 80s, we could have our stereotypical Nazi villains, and now it's too hot-button a topic. It's become a hot-button topic the staler it gets. I mean, we're almost 100 years away from World War II, and now we can't talk about it when we could 50 years away from World War II. It just feels like a cop-out, and... I hate to say it, but I think part of it is, well, we can't sell toys of Nazis, but we can sell toys of Hydra soldiers. So let's just do that.
3: Uh, I think you might be onto something there. That makes a lot of sense. And that does sound like just the kind of cynical marketing move that they would pull here. I would just say this. If they wanted to have Captain America fight Nazis... Cool. I'm fine with them fighting Nazis. But that means no blue lasers and no funky devices. They'd have to get rid of the steampunk stuff and make it about the Nazis that were historical, using the stuff at the time. And that's not the movie they chose to make for whatever reason. That they, We had these super supernatural Nazis. I'm fine then. Don't bring up Nazis. They're Hydra. I'll go with it. They really aren't not.
2: One thing they wanted to include in this montage but couldn't, they had actually planned on getting Hugh Jackman and possibly Michael Fassbender or a little boy who would grow up to be Michael Fassbender, yeah, they were going to have Wolverine and Magneto in
1: World War II. Oh, wow. There's a lot of comics about Wolverine and Captain America teaming up in World War II, so it it wouldn't have come out of nowhere. There's a history for it.
2: Fox said no, possibly because Marvel is spreading out their properties, including the X-Men, might have felt like one step too close of we're taking them back. But
3: Mm. yeah, the X-Men don't play with the other ones. That's the one that doesn't cross over. And you're right. It's because Fox still owns that property. Marvel motion pictures can't make those characters
2: without Fox permission, right? Yep. Fox has to go five years without an X-Men film before Marvel can grab them. which means now playing will be back at least once every four years to discuss (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. I'm fine with that. Plus,
3: he gets a motorcycle. Arnie, I know how important that is for you and Captain America. I was happy.
2: And it's a super motorcycle. It has flames and smoke. It's like James Bond's motorcycle. It made me happy. Even I a liked place it. to
3: put the frisbee later. <laughs>
2: And I love that he's throwing the shield. You know, it's an iconic moment.
3: You know, he said early when he was enlisting that he didn't want to fire a gun. That it, it almost sounded like he was anti-gun. But he does carry a gun, right? There are parts where he's firing weapons.
2: Oh, yeah. It's an iconic scene from the trailer. Him firing a pistol with the commandos behind him shooting Tommy
1: guns. He doesn't like bullies and... Not bullets, bullies. Oh,
3: I may have misunderstood the line (laughs) then. Oh, I misunderstood. Well, that makes a lot more sense. I'm like, did he get corrupted? Is he doing something he wouldn't have normally done? No. Okay. He doesn't like bullies. All right.
2: (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) But then in what looks like it's going to be just the next scene of the montage, it turns out to be a big dramatic moment, the train heist. And I want to comment about the special effects in this movie because... They're so seamless that nothing looks real. This train heist drives it home. That's a real mountain. Those are real people. It's a fake train. But they've put this CGI sheen over all of it and composited it so much that it just all has this feel of artificiality that works very well on blu-ray i think it's the star wars prequels effect where we're just going to make so many fake elements you can't tell what's real i would rather have the cgi train
3: than to not get this moment if we had to rely on what they could rent and actually shoot that was physical i'm willing to go with the special effects here i think they're top notch for what they can do and the only way it's going to get better is if they keep working at it so you know in five years it probably will be where you'll want it to be arnie but not quite yeah I believe they're at 88%. Uh, photo realistic
1: we get onto this train hydra's got their blue laser weapons that disintegrate people but the shield is able to deflect them do they give a reason why the shield doesn't just disintegrate it's made of vibranium yeah, yeah i get that and that's all the vibranium there is in the world but can you
3: imagine such a thing we only found this much metal let's make a shield out of it and give it to captain america
2: okay hey there's no african americans in this film if there were then they would have had relations with wakanda get more
3: actually there were african-americans yeah. um, the third guy they fooled me here because three guys land on the train captain america bucky an unnamed black guy well <laughs> i think i know where this is going <laughs> oops oh. no the guy that goes out the hole in the train is not the black guy why
2: kill bucky they're hitting those beats like you said and i'm not gonna say they killed him why get rid of bucky <laughs> is the better question
1: I got to ask you, Arnie, I heard the actor that played Bucky signed a multi-picture deal. We don't see a dead body. I know what happens to Bucky. He becomes frozen, much like Captain America. The Russians find him, brainwash him, and turn him into almost, he's called the Winter Soldier. He's like a Russian Captain America. What? Yeah. Yes, and then he becomes Captain America for America. Once I read that this actor had spent said he signed a multi-picture deal. I'm wondering if they're leaving it open for a Winter Soldier movie.
2: They certainly are. There's been talk about a Winter Soldier solo film, maybe co-starring Black Widow. They have a comic series out together. Right
1: now. I'm just surprised they didn't shoot off his arm because he does have a cybernetic arm when he comes back as the Winter Soldier. I thought they would have set that up, too.
3: Okay, yes, you guys have all of this inside knowledge, but for the sake of this movie here, so much of this was about going to war with Bucky and saving Private Bucky and... (laughs) When he doesn't and nothing really is accomplished on this train, I'm really confused as to what's happening anymore. It's starting to feel aimless. It's all starting to feel like a glorious looking World War II montage.
2: All right. A few things to what you said. First of all, I think that because he's been with Bucky this whole time. We're supposed to get that things are dark. By the time you're reaching this point in a two-hour movie, you hit the 90-minute mark, it's supposed to be unwinnable. The hero's supposed to be at their lowest moment. Captain America has only been going to war for Bucky or with Bucky. Now he's lost Bucky. The scene doesn't tell me that, but the script does.
3: Yeah, you're talking about beats, and this is the part of the end of act two heading into the climax of the film. You've got to make it look dark for our, your hero, and you're right. I guess that's what it's supposed to be.
2: I'm going to put the blame completely on a man who we've not talked about, and it's so unlike us to not talk about the director, Joe Johnston. Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, The Rocketeer, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Wolfman, all extremely bland films. This man is the most generic. I have been so impressed with Marvel up until this point with their choices of director all seem to be based on style. They wanted something with a cool swagger. Okay, let's get Favreau. They want an action film to completely erase the drama that was Ang Lee's Hulk. Okay, let's get the guy who did the transporter. You want something that can deliver Shakespearean-type dialect? Brana. You want somebody who can do World War II? Eh, this guy will do. He makes a lot of movies and gets them in on time.
3: Hey, I'm not going to say that Joe Johnson is not a hack, but he did work with Spielberg on those Indiana Jones movies. I think that would have been part of the selling point, is that maybe he can make this Raiders.
1: I mean, and The Rocketeer was a World War II movie where they fight yeah. actual Nazis. Gorgeous
3: looking movie, but nothing in that sold. And, you know, I feel like this movie is starting to suffer from those same things of I like looking at it, but I don't like trying to follow it at this point. They need a plot, and that's the one thing in telling all of these origins. Now that they achieve achieved the hero that they want to create, there's nothing really else to do for him but send him away. We're just biding time until he's under the ice. I feel like Hydra really ought to have had some master plan. It shouldn't have been about trying to find Hydra and break into their base. It should have been about Red Skull actually engaging something
1: big. Well, he was. He had all his cube powered weapons. He was going to bomb the world, take it over. I mean, that's where we go by the end of this movie. He's getting a fleet ready to fly over America and destroy it.
2: And we've had so many scenes of Red Skull and Dr. Zola together discussing this plan and making these ray guns. But, Stuart, I see where you're coming from because the scenes don't feel like they have any weight to them yes we're hearing words but there's no menace coming from these scenes they seem a little silly with dr zola so you don't get that there's really this thing going on and when we're told by the way the red skull is not only going to destroy all of america but he's doing it right now it really feels like a beam just hit me in the head
1: yeah it's we got to get to the end of this movie we're at the two hour mark It definitely feels very
3: hurried as much of the last 40 minutes of the movie does to the expense of my connection with the characters, which is everything here. I mean, if we're not connecting with Captain America, where are we? And, you know, I just feel like, yeah, they choose to attack him right when he's about to do this thing. Or maybe he decides to get in the bomber when he has to run away. It just lacks urgency. You know, you got to create ticking clocks in the script. You got to do things that tell you if this doesn't get done by this. This amount of time, something bad will happen. That's what creates tension and suspense. And Captain America is almost too powerful here. You feel like there's nothing he can't accomplish. There's no foe he can't take down pretty easily. And so, really, how fast can we get him into the ice?
1: To your point, Stuart, they show a map early on in that first scene where they rescue Bucky. And so they go, okay, now we know where all the Hydra's plants are. And they go to him one at a time in that montage. Like if this was a more competent script. Like they would have used some detective work and found the actual one. Maybe they would have hit one or two, but here they hit every single base. Until they find him. Except
2: for one. And at that train raid, you said that they accomplish nothing when they lose Bucky. They do capture Dr. Arnim Zola, the mastermind behind all of this, who the whole movie doesn't seem so on board with the Red Skull. Kind of looks like maybe he wished Hitler was coming to save him. And when he's captured, he's the only Hydra soldier too cowardly to take the cyanide.
3: Yeah, I guess you're right. That didn't seem like much to me. It would be like the equivalent of capturing Igor when you break into Frankenstein's lab. I mean, he's not doing anything other than pulling some levers. I don't know what this guy was doing for Red Skull other than listening to his bullshit, right? (laughs) I mean, he's not really accomplishing anything. Like I said, they're very passive characters. Captain America is the active character. Red Skull, he's just kind of pissy. He's got vague ideas about world domination. And a cool car. He does have a cool car. I love that car. But he's on the defensive for so much of the second half of the movie that he's just not a very credible threat. There's just no urgency to it.
2: I can't agree more. During the second act of the movie is when the Red Skull should have wiped out the Nazis and truthfully become a global power that needs to be stopped. Instead, he's atrophying scene by scene in montage form.
1: Yeah, he calls out the, what it would take months for the fewer to do. I'll be able to do in hours. Or, you know, when a couple of Americans walk in with their pistols, they take out all our guys. He talks a big game, but we never see that.
2: And again, I'm blaming Johnston. I am completely blaming Johnston because the script has these things in it. The movie has the people saying these lines, but yet they're failing to convey the messages.
3: If they want to get through it, I kind of want this to be over, too. But I will say this. I think this movie could have been 30 to 40 minutes longer if they had built a correct second act. You know, after you have this very indulgent, lengthy establishment of the, of your hero. I don't mind that. But then you got to create a very specific problem for him to face and overcome. And... That's where the movie really fails. It's in Act 2. It's Act 2 is a montage waiting and twiddling its thumbs until it can get to Avengers. You can't be so eager to get to Avengers that you don't
2: deliver on the movie that you're making. I agree. Everything you've said is right. He's too strong. There is a ticking clock in words. But every time I've seen this film, three times when I'm watching it with the actual dialogue, every time I'm like, oh yeah, this is where the movie ends, huh? (laughs) It just doesn't feel like I've built up to anything. It feels like I'm coasting. And then it just, instead of having a last round sprint, oh no, we're just going to break down by the side of the road. It's over.
1: I'll definitely have uh, some comments about that kind of storytelling if we ever do a Jurassic Park retrospective and we get to that third film.
2: Again, I blame Johnston.
1: Oh yeah, it's totally the director's fault. You hit the 90 minute mark, our budget's up, we're ending the film.
3: Hey, buddy, I bet he got this movie in time and on budget. There's something to be rewarded for a hack, but yeah, it's not very gratifying to watch the finished result. It's only the bean counters that enjoy your work.
2: But out of five directors in six movies, this is the one that sticks out to me as the economical safe choice.
3: But I will credit him this, again, I do feel like he got the look and the period right, and I'm not sure if Favreau or Branagh or or any of the others would have been as meticulous with the art direction. I mean, at least he got the look
2: correct. I do wish there was more meat on the bone. I thought Thor looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, I loved its look. But this one, honestly, that it didn't get some kind of award for costuming and set design, in art direction. Special effects. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It deserved it.
3: It really should have been more heavily remembered at those year-end ceremonies. But, you know.
2: I mean, I realize it is what it is. It's a middling income superhero flick. But yes, I agree with you. It's a gorgeous looking one.
3: So, if they're in a rush, why don't we get through this?
2: I don't even understand the ending, so I have to get through (laughs) it quickly. Because, really, there's a super plane that's being chased by a super car. The super plane has baby planes. All of a sudden, I'm in Independence Day.
1: I don't know if these little baby planes are... I thought they were bombs, but then they start flying them. So, I'm like, are they going to kamikaze into New York and Chicago? I mean, they all list the city that they're meant for. (laughs)
3: Yeah, (laughs) very helpful for the audience. Oh, there goes Chicago. (laughs) Say what you will, when he's actually battling on top of the plane, I don't know, I thought that was kind of thrilling. That was one of the few moments in this climax where I really felt engaged, was there's just something about seeing someone strapped on top of a plane. But yeah, it's confusing and not very satisfying. You're right, are they bombs? Are they missiles? Are they piloted? I don't know, does it matter? Even worse, when he finally gets back into the
1: ship, How did Red Skull get defeated? He touched the Tesseract. Well, Captain America cracked it with his shield or something. He knocked it out of the
2: battery charger. It was in a box, and he knocks it loose, and the Red Skull, I guess. Didn't he touch it earlier in the film, though, and he was fine? He was holding it at the beginning of the movie. I have no idea why he would melt, other
1: than
3: yeah, Joe Johnston went and looked up Raiders for what else he might have done and went, <laughs> oh, right!
1: We did that to the Nazis. I guess this is why this film had to come after Thor. So we know when that opens up, that's straight out of Thor, right? It's, it's opening up the beam to the other realm, and that's kind of what happened to Loki at the end. He falls down. Like, I feel this is just too set up how we get Thor and Loki back into the next movie
2: See, I thought it was setting up Captain America 2, the return of the Red Skull in modern day, because it looks like Scotty just beamed him up at the end. He, it opens a picture of the cosmos. I see a nebula. If I'd seen Asgard or Jogenheim or whatever, I would have thought maybe he went to a different realm. As it is, I literally thought he went to a different planet. Perhaps a planet with some aliens that will be attacking Earth next week.
3: Okay, so to be clear, we don't think that Red Skull is in next week's movie.
1: No.
2: There have been rumors, but I don't think so, because you can't keep it a secret when a star shows up on a set, even if they're just saying hi to a friend. Hugo Weaving did not show up. Okay,
3: because that was the only thing I could have guessed. I really don't know. This close to the movie, I really have no idea, for all of this setup in five movies, what I'm going to get next week. But I at
2: least know who the players are going to be. So... Red Skull's gone, but the plane is still flying. Again, we don't know what those bombers were. I thought they were fighters that would go out and blast a city, but even without them, because Captain America took them out, the plane getting to the states is bad.
1: I think it's crashing because it doesn't have its power source anymore, so there would be no safe way to land it. Right. The cube was
3: powering the ship, and without the cube, it had melted through the floorboards and fallen into the ocean. Without that, it was going to go down down quickly i don't know why instantly i mean when you take the battery out of something it doesn't you know work for 10 minutes it stops it,
2: well aerodynamics if an engine goes out you're still gonna glide
1: okay yeah, but you don't want to glide this into america you gotta hurry and divert it to the arctic okay
2: All right. Uh, That explains that to me. Thank you. Yeah. So that's why he had to crash it. I thought he was crashing it because he says if he doesn't land it in the water, innocent lives will be lost. I thought that was innocent lives at the hands of the on autopilot death ray. But no, now I get it. Thank you. That clears it up. And so he crashes it in the ice. And all I can think about is, I'm glad they cut that scene from Hulk where we saw Captain America in the ice because he's not thrown free. He's actually in a ship the whole time. So if we saw him in the ice, that would be confusing. I'm sure the screenwriters are equally grateful. And then we finally come full circle back to our modern day opening. I knew exactly what I was seeing when I saw him wake up, perhaps because I've seen it before in the comics and other things did you guys were you fooled about the baseball game and the old-timey outfit
1: they focused on that baseball way too much that radio they lingered on it so i knew that was some clue that what we were seeing wasn't really what was happening.
3: Well, they do such a underline of the fact that the love interest, Carter, makes a date with him. And it's going to be next week. And you don't do something that overtly melodramatic and then actually have him wake up in the time period. I knew that he was there in modern day. I knew that he would miss the date. So they told us in that opening prologue where we're going to end up. I don't know why and still a little confused as to why they try to make him think it was his time period uh, to ease him transitionally into the modern day. But it really isn't that much softer of a landing to do it this way than to Wake up and have Sam Jackson staring at you and saying, this is the way it is.
2: (laughs) And this scene, I have to say, when I was watching this movie, I went in looking for Avengers. I was really into the movie for the first hour. The second hour, I was coasting. And here, it was like a shot of adrenaline when Nick Fury shows up before the credits. I wasn't expecting it before the credits.
1: No, I thought they would end with him frozen, and they'd dig him up at the beginning of this one, but I didn't expect him to run into Fury in this film. Yeah,
3: I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't know how they would get to Fury. I honestly thought that we would see a young actor playing Nick Fury, and that would be the connection here. I, I'm kind of glad that they found this weird way of getting them together, and it will make next week less exposition heavy by having us understand now here and why how he got to the modern day
2: he takes it very well in stride i would think i mean he ends up in times freaking square i grew up in the 20th and 21st century and when i first got there which was the 20th century i was overloaded let alone coming straight from 1942 43 into that just sensory assault But he just takes a deep breath, looks around. It's like, okay, I signed a multi-picture deal. I know what's up. Yeah. (laughs) It's the one scene I feel Evans didn't sell me on. He was great in the past. He didn't do so well in the present, which makes me a little nervous about the future. Well,
3: maybe he's just mortified at looking at the Spider-Man turn off the dark theater. (laughs) He was down the road. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is this where I'm going to end up?
1: You know, they don't give him a whole lot of time in this film. I mean, I feel like that's a whole other movie or at least the second act of a movie for doing the Salinger thing is him adjusting to these new times and they give him, what, 30 seconds?
2: That's what kills me, though, is it almost feels like Avengers has to be the fish-out-of-water, man-out-of-time story. How can the other Avengers fit in when he's got to look up Peggy's granddaughter, right? I mean, isn't that what has to happen
3: No, no, they could skip ahead. That could be a throwaway line as they're getting into an elevator. I mean, we don't know how much time has passed between this moment and where they're going to pick up. What it does do is underline the fact that I haven't ever been sold by... There just wasn't enough time, I think, to develop... Carter and him as a love item. I mean, they had scenes and it wasn't like they were poor. It's just that the tragic goodbye, uh, him not making the date, the way that we would understand this moment emotionally is if that hurt us to know that he was never going to see that girl again. I don't care. Do you guys care? I don't care that he ever sees her again. I hope she's not in the sequels. I'm not invested. It
2: was too obvious, right? I mean, especially the way the story starts by showing him in ice. At no point did I ever think anything else would happen. And so while I was completely moved when he threw himself on a grenade, I was stone faced during the we'll dance next Saturday. I liked the relationship. I thought it was sweet, but I certainly don't mourn it and feel bad that it didn't go further than it did because we all knew the ending, even if we didn't know the
1: character. Yeah, there's no point in dwelling on that love story unless, again, you're going the Salinger route and you're going to spend a considerable amount of time in the modern day in this film and he's going to hook up with her granddaughter or the niece or whatever and there's some modern day connection.
3: Or you've hired Nick Cage and Eva Mendes. (laughs)
2: And really, it actually waters down the loss of Bucky, doesn't it? Because now everybody's dead. Yeah. It's not just Bucky, it's Peggy, it's Tommy Lee Jones, everybody you knew.
1: And if you're going to explore the modern day stuff, you need to see him go through that. And in Ultimate Avengers, that was one of those key moments when Captain America's revived and he realizes everyone he knows is dead or extremely old. And it's this poignant moment. You're not getting that here. And once I get to the Avengers, I don't really care if he's gone through that or not. I want the team up now.
3: Yeah, I agree. Different movie. The time to make us feel about this character's arc is in this moment here. And it's hollow. I, You know, it's very clear that this last hour has been about getting to this point and not about taking us on the journey that they took us in the first hour
2: and if that doesn't tell you the scene after the credits i remember sitting there waiting for the after credits scene and there isn't an after credits scene there's an after credits trailer
3: Well, to be fair, they had only just been shooting when this movie was released, so they didn't have much footage. I thought it looked good. I mean, we've already kind of seen all this material repurposed for months now in posters and commercials and what have you. But it would have been, I'm sure, a big thrill. Arnie, tell me the Comic-Con crowd wasn't on its feet roaring at the sight of all these people sharing the screen.
2: We collectively prayed for a rewind button so we could (laughs) see it again. I mean, yes, it was great, but at the same time, I personally wanted something that would lead me into the story of the next one. I guess that's what the Nick Fury thing did, and when the trailer starts, we think we're getting a scene. We think that Nick Fury is there to give him a job, and I mean, imagine if it had ended with, behind Nick Fury, walk in Hawkeye and Iron Man, and if they just had them walk in and then cut to black, I would have been more satisfied than the montage we get. It just felt more like I just watched and I saw it free at Comic-Con, but if I bought a ticket, paid for an ad for the next movie instead of seeing a fulfilled movie. That's why I was just a little bit ripped off the after credit scene
3: well you can't have it both ways arnie you can't have them not establish the movie we've been working so hard to build if they hadn't made avengers we may not have been covering any of these marvel movies yet they had to give us that tease
2: well we're almost at the destination but let's see if the journey was worth it jacob stewart do you recommend captain america the first avenger jacob
1: I think we've called out where this film fails, and that's in the second half. They set up this great character that won me over to despite being – Baseball, red, white, and blue, apple pie, Boy Scout, Mr. America. He's so sincere. Evans is so sincere in the role. I totally buy into it. I buy into the corny, buy American bonds and punching Hitler. You know, I go along with it, and I'm really drawn into this film, the sets and the costumes, the period piece. I'm enjoying it. Unfortunately, when we get to that second half, and we've got our Captain America, now we got to figure out how to fit him into... Next week's film, The Avengers, is where this film goes wrong. There's some great action scenes. I enjoy the action. I wasn't bored like I was with Thor and with the Incredible Hulk. I was engaged during these action scenes, even though I didn't understand how disintegrating laser beams bounced off his shield. I loved when he threw the shield. Great stuff here. I wish the story was stronger. Again, at the beginning, they're tying in all these Marvel Universe things really well, and by the end, it's kind of all unraveled. But what's here is strong enough for me to recommend it. The first half is... Very strong. The action scenes are strong. The set pieces, the special effects. It loses its focus, definitely. And it stops being a satisfying Captain America, the first Avenger story. But eh, maybe not a bad Avengers prequel. And so I do recommend Captain America, the first Avenger. Stewart.
3: Well, you know, this is the third movie in a row where I feel like it's actually been hampered by the fact that it's building towards the Avengers. I think this would be a stronger movie if this were standalone with no expectations of what we're about to see. They would have concentrated on the story at hand and not just worried about creating a believable character. Because that's all that's really accomplished here. That said, they did it. And unlike Thor, which I thought they created a likable character in a very unlikable circumstance, I love this world. I love the production values. I like the romanticized World War II. I'm going to miss it. Joss Whedon's going to have to work pretty damn hard for me to want to see Cap in modern day times because this is where he belongs and I hope when they make the sequel they can find a way to flashback or at least spend part of their time here in this world because this is it for me I think it's nice to see a superhero movie with a different flavor and this one has one unlike any of the Marvel ones we've covered for that reason alone I'll go with recommend for Captain America First Avenger even though I don't think
2: the whole movie is that great three for three I recommend Captain America. I agree with what you guys said. Here's the thing, is for me, I think the second act is more forgivable than it is for you guys because, Stuart, you say I can't have it both ways. You're right and you're wrong because I feel like with Iron Man and, for me, The Incredible Hulk, I did get it both ways. I do feel like the last three, once they got their Avengers initiative in order, the individual films suffered a little at the hand of the Avengers strategy. But I also am enough of a fan of Marvel Multimedia to know who Dum Dum Dugan is and get a smile when I see his bowler, and to know who Arnim Zola is and to smile when he's grabbing plans of a big robot suit with a face in the middle. So... Even though I do feel like the story is hampered during the second half, A, I think it's telling that we're all saying it's over too soon because we're left wanting more. Because when it ends, we don't want that. But also, the things that hamper the story in the second half still make me smile, but for different reasons. It's more base, it's more indulgent, and I realize it's not the things that make a good movie, but it is the things that make the Marvel Universe. I... Really enjoy Captain America, and it overcame a big hurdle for me, which is the time period, and made me love the time period and love the way they did it. So yes... Recommend for Captain America looking forward to Avengers. And with Captain America, there was one more DVD short. Last time we had the consultants, which kind of explained why they didn't get Tim Roth back for the Avengers. This time I hadn't seen this one before recording. I just watched it and it's a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's Hammer. Did
1: you guys find it funny? I think the funniest thing about it was the title. (laughs) Yeah, it's all
3: in the eyes of the beholder. It's certainly a showpiece for Agent Coulson. I it seems like pretty lame filler. It's the idea of giving you something extra without actually working too hard.
1: I gotta say, I think they blew a a great opportunity for something actually funny to happen. You know, there's a moment where he's in this gas station trying to pick out, you know, what is it, powder donuts versus chocolate donuts? Come on, do what the Hulk told you to do. Get that apple pie. Get that hostess (laughs) cupcake. Like, I felt that was the perfect opportunity to call back to those Marvel hostess ads, and no, they dropped the ball there.
2: Well, here's what's funny is, you mentioned brand names. I know I noticed everything in there was generic except for the Acura logo, which was right in the middle, and that he was filling up on on Gas, which is a Marvel company. So yeah, I could see it not being hostess because nothing else was any brand name, but it did feel like I was watching an Acura ad.
3: What was the joke here that Coulson is polite and can disarm and do everything that two muggers of a gas station ask him to and then kick their ass? I feel like we've seen so much wire foo from unexpected creations now that like that has no impact whatsoever. That's a non joke
2: more. I was really disappointed in this because I like Coulson as the pent up straight guy in the face of incredible circumstances. He can stand next to Tony Stark, he can stand next to Thor, he can stand next to a destroyer, and he is unflappable. Now you've told me he's a ninja, and that makes the whole thing less cool.
3: I think if they wanted to do an extra on Captain America, they could actually do one of those scenes that we're talking about, Cap finding out about his past, what happened to one of the people that he knew back in the 40s. I think that could have been an interesting tidbit. But then again, you'd have to have paid Evans, and I'm sure that Greg Clark is
2: a lot cheaper. In fact, it's probably like, please let me work in the Avengers. You want me to do web shorts? I know there's a writer strike about this very issue, but I'll do them for free. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I was hoping for more Avengers tease, and instead, eh, it was a throwaway thing. I'm just hoping that we don't see him do Wirefu in the Avengers. I didn't think he was very convincing.
1: I felt that they did this to set up some scene he's going to have in the Avengers, so you're not scratching your head. How do you get these ninja skills all of a sudden? I'm fearing that.
3: I'll bet against it. They won't be that dumb. There's too many ass kickers to give him any moment. He won't have any wire food. He'll have a heroic moment, perhaps, but they are not going to let him do that kick line thing that he did here. That Just no way.
2: Well, Stuart, Jacob, we will be back next week for... Avengers, I can't believe it's finally here. I can't believe Stuart stuck it out. Yeah, we're still friends. (laughs) (laughs) It was close. It's truly a superpower
3: (laughs) right there patience patience man you know what it has not been all sunshine and light but truly in each movie even thor which i didn't recommend have grown to like the characters that they have isolated for this adventure and if they got nothing else right about avengers they at least have assembled a team i want to see solve a problem so hopefully joss has worked out a, a problem worthy of the actors they have because this could work I actually think this could go off. They may have been able to do the impossible and put a Norse god with a World War II hero and a man in a robot suit with a genetic freak and whatever the hell Scarlett Johansson is, <laughs> put it all together and this may actually be a fun movie. I don't think I could possibly enjoy it as much as you want to, Arnie, but I do hope to have it rank as one of the highest Marvel properties that I've seen in the series. I'm shooting for top five.
1: I'm skeptical. It's the whole team thing. I mean, how long have we heard rumors about a Justice League movie coming out? So I got to give it props just for that, for doing the impossible, bringing all these personalities together, bringing all these characters and properties together, and I'm hoping for it. I never want to see a bad movie, and I love comic books. I'm hoping... This brings out in comic books what I love just some crazy action and at bare minimum, Hopefully, we'll at least get a good Iron Man 3 movie out of this. You know, it does have Robert Downey Jr. And at bare minimum, I should be able to enjoy him.
2: Well, we will find out next Tuesday. And don't forget, before that, if you want more Now Playing, on Fridays, we are doing our Aliens bonus retrospective series as a thank you for donors who donate $10 or more to Now Playing between now and mid-June.
3: That's right, we finally reached the very contentious Alien 3. So contentious, I've done a freebie bonus podcast over at Books and Nachos. There was an idea for a third Alien chapter that only made it to comics and books. And I've reviewed those source materials starting on Friday. Not only can you hear Alien 3, the official movie podcast, you'll hear over in Books and Nachos what could have been. And my thoughts on Aliens Earth Hive. So even if you don't have the 10 bucks, come join me there. We'll talk Aliens this
2: Friday. And if you have more than $10, if you have, say, 25 or more after we finish Aliens 4, Waiting for Prometheus, Stuart, Jacob, and I will be reviewing the three Steven Spielberg films, E.T., War of the Worlds, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You can donate using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com and thank you in advance for your support. And finally, while we're plugging other podcasts including Books and Nachos, if you're as anxious as I am for Avengers, head over to Marvelicious Toys. We're talking all Avengers products and for the past five weeks I have been actually paying people to write songs about the Avengers movies and putting one (laughs) at the end of each podcast as well as reviewing the Avengers movie novelizations you can find that all at MarveliciousToys.com
3: we will fill the time until you yourself can get to a theater and see Avengers there is enough podcasting there (laughs) so we will
2: be back next week with Avengers baby Avengers assemble
0: On that dance.
2: All right. A week next Saturday at the Stork Club. You've got
0: it. Eight o'clock on the dock.
2: Don't you dare be late. Understood?
0: You know, I still don't know how to dance. I'll show you how. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series.
3: This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it.
0: Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on the Marvel Comics through the release of The Avengers this May. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. And be sure to visit Vinganza Media Gazette at vinganzamediacom forward slash gazette to read Arnie's reviews of every episode of The Incredible Hulk TV series. A new review is posted every day. God bless you, brother. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives, where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series, such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher. Plus, reviews of the Avengers early works, like the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk movies and the Captain America TV movies. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews, such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing. All of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow NowPlaying on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com.
1: Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back.
0: Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain. that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, Now Is it too
1: much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm. Okay, okay. I really need your help here.
0: You can also show your love of Now Playing podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get
2: yourself something nice for
0: me. I already did.
2: And? Oh, it's very nice. Very tasteful.
0: Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. I've moved on to the next one, because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Wow. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. you really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! <laughs> Do this all
2: day. But Schmidt has a master plan. He has captured a relic called the Terrasect, a glowing cube that we saw at the end of Thor. The Terrasect has allowed Schmidt's chief scientist, Doctor Arnim Zola. Schmidt- can,
3: I'm sorry. Can I stop you? Yes. I think you said Terrasect. Yes. It's Tesseract. I think. I believe. No,
2: it's, it's Terrasect.
3: Are you sure? Okay, alright. then I've always mispronounced it.
2: Or is it Tess? There is something called the Tesseract. No, Tesseract. But what, what the f? It changed spelling. It did. Tesseract. Tesseract. I, I swear I've seen it. Terrasect. Okay, thank you. Alright. Yeah.
3: Dominic Cooper. I think he's pretty good. I've seen him in a couple movies. He was in that pretty bad Marilyn Monroe movie and that even worse Saddam Hussein double movie and education. I like him. I think he's got some charisma. But those movies wise-
2: sucked. He was great. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: kind of. But but I got to ask. Do we want to talk I, about his official costume at all? Yeah, I do.
2: I think I think what we'll do is what we're recording right now will be an insert before the montage bit. Okay. But he rescues Cap and gets the guys out and now he's a real You mean wharf- he
1: he rescues Bucky? Yes.
2: Well, Bucky becomes Cap. Does that count?
1: <laughs> no. Not for this movie.
2: <laughs> do you recommend Captain America:
1: The First Avenger, Jacob? Did it there out? no i'm here i'm just <laughs> oh thank god yeah i, I
3: just <laughs> take a moment forming no, my fine. thoughts I, yes no 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 or, that's fine after, I just got, after the I night we've had
2: it's
1: reasonable yeah i know i know i know i i was getting worried i'm like i better hurry and say something um
3: i, I think that it has it no i'll just stop there i, I recommend for captain avenger
1: clip <laughs> captain america <laughs> yeah captain, captain avenger yes. right, i'm falling apart
3: <laughs> get it over with <laughs> Whatever, the guy in the hat. (laughs)